So when you find somebody who's cranky and cynical, you know, you what you want to do is try to identify the root cause of that, not because it's so important to understand what made Bob that way, but rather as insight into the way the organization functions. Hi, this is Diana Brunel O'Leary with Job Talk Weekly. The new book, Incredible Communication, by Stephen Lewis and Dr. Rebecca Weintraub, is about helping you become more effective in your communication at work. In my conversation today with Dr. Weintraub, she helps us reframe how we view our communication and start thinking more about how we are perceived by the people we are interacting with, not just what we think we should say. And we talk about how to approach communication when you start a new job and how to figure out the culture of meetings at your workplace. Yes, because pandemic or not, we still have meetings. Oy. Okay, let's jump in. Hi, Dr. Weintraub. Welcome to Job Talk Weekly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about your new book, Incredible Communication, and I want to know what led you to write a book, because I know you've been working with corporate clients one-on-one and students in a group setting. So what was it that you were seeing that needed to be addressed? What was the void or what sort of, you know, propelled you to write this book? I think that people tend to focus on their communication um, in a self-centered manner. It's what I want to say. I think I am this and therefore you should see me this way. And a lot of my communication work has been around, whether it's in coaching or corporate communication, my teaching, has been around what I call stakeholder centeredness. That it's really not about your perceptions, it's about their perceptions. That's your reality. And I had been wanting, you know, to do something with that. So we were the perfect match in terms of what we wanted to do around the book. Well, let's talk about the perception, though, because one of the things you talk about is being able to sell yourself for the sake of work. And when we talk about being able to sell yourself for a job interview, a lot of people are hesitant because they don't want to come across as arrogant and, you know, especially women who are often taught not to brag, right? So how can job seekers think about this communication differently so that they can then confidently present themselves? It's not so much that it's different information that you would be giving out so much as it is doing that within a context of what the recruiter or hiring manager is looking to achieve with this hire. You really have to focus on what that job would need and how you could do that rather than saying, well, this is all my past experience because they're not going to make that link. Yeah. So it's not about you, the candidate. It's about the work. Here's how you've applied your skills and you've solved these problems for your current employer. And here's how you could solve them for that employer. So I think maybe if people think about the work that they're serving, you know, really is the word that comes to mind, maybe that can then take the pressure off them feeling like they're just boasting about themselves, that they're talking about these examples of how they've been collaborative, how they've been a team member, and how they've, they've sort of solved problems. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I love what you also talked about credibility and credibility capital. Um, and I want you to touch more on that because so many of the people that I've been hearing from right now are Gen Z, college grads. They're literally graduating this week, next week, this month. Yep. And I don't think they know about how this credibility works in the workplace. And sometimes you can take four steps forward in building your credibility, but then you slip back. And, and there is a way to a, you know, there is a way to come back from that. But tell us a little bit more about credibility capital. Most of us, you know, think, well, I'm very credible. I have this, 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 and this. But the truth is, you have that credibility if your stakeholders see that you have that, that, and that. So when we talk about building credibility capital, we're talking about building the the elements that your stakeholders would find credible. And so it's about thinking about what, how do, what do they value? What are they um, looking for? How are they interpreting what you have done? So and that's how you build your credibility capital. So as part of what you're saying, tailoring your communication based on the person that you're working with. You know, if you have a manager who's very data-driven and just wants to get straight to the numbers versus a coworker that you need to sort of bring along and just wants to hear more detail, is that part of what you're talking about here? That is, um, thank you for saying that, because that is really the nub, and I may not have made that as clear as you did. <laughs> That's and okay. Hey, we we're communicating. <laughs> We are communicating, and you are building your credibility capital. Love it. I'm, I'm in practice here. Um, well, one of the things that you also talk about in the book, and I love this title, is Meetings, Bloody Meetings. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to talk about it, too, because, you know, it is such a tough time to enter the workforce, especially, again, I'm talking about these college grads who aren't going to see the same office dynamic that I might have five years ago. You know, you have an orientation, you get toured around, you get to see people. And yes, meetings, whether they're hell or they're important and helpful, <laughs> are a part yep. of corporate life. So talk to us about uh, people in meetings and, and how we respond and how we look out for, you know, um, flags from other people. Tell us a little bit about meetings. So um, one of the things we talk about in the foundational chapters um, is this this concept that we talked about briefly about Perception is reality, and we also talk about communication culture. So it is important, particularly when you're starting out, to get a sense of what is the meeting culture. And the problem is that most organizations have very strict rules about meetings, except they don't explain those rules. Right. They're unwritten they rules, right? I'm sorry? They're unwritten rules, right? They're not even just unwritten. They're unconscious. <laughs> Some of the people are unconscious. Well, that's, that's <laughs> true, too. Uh, but, you know, if, if you went into an organization and said, what's your meeting culture? Most people just look at you blankly and they would say, you know, they would talk about the meetings in terms of we have status meetings. We have right. staff meetings. We have this and that. When I talk about a meeting culture, um, it has to do with 
the elements that are found in pretty much all of the meetings in that organization, no matter what kind of meeting it is. So some meetings, some uh, cultures, you show up one minute late, you're you're behind. Mm-hmm. It's already started. Mm-hmm. Some cultures, you know, 15 minutes, if you're lucky, it, late is when it starts. Right. Some have a, um, a kind of built-in social hour, you know, a chance to just chat for a little bit and, and whatever. Others, very task-oriented. You come in, you sit down, We, you know, they present, they've got an agenda, here we go. Um, the, the culture even extends to the physical situation. Who sits around the table? Oh, Who yeah. sits on the, um, in the chairs against the wall? If there are, you know, those kinds of numbers involved, um, how how collaborative are the is the meeting? In other words, there's almost always a presentation. We don't seem to be able to get away from those right. these days. Right. Um, how welcoming are are people's comments and incorporated? If you're new in an organization, listen as um, much as you can yeah pay attention to what people are saying how they're saying it watch the interaction Um, I don't believe that just because somebody's new they don't have good ideas but I do believe that you have to be careful in how you enter into the conversation when you're new. My advice is always for the first month, your job is to listen as much as possible. I mean, by all means answer and have ideas when you're asked, but your job should, you should be a cultural archeologist. Oh, that's a good one. And understand what that is all about because then you can modify how you approach things so that it fits into the culture. I think this is so helpful. Like I've never really thought about meeting culture before. And you're so right that every group has their culture. They have this one person who always sits at the head of the table, whether or not he or she is sort of leading the meeting, but they sort of have these norms that they fall into. And I wish when I was younger that I would have paid attention a little bit more and observed because I'm thinking of one of the first jobs that I had right out of college. It was my first day on a Monday. And sure enough, they start their day at like 10 o'clock. Everyone gets settled for an hour or so with their group staff meeting on this one particular project that they were working on. And a lot of people are in this room and I felt the need to say something. And I remember <laughs> making a suggestion. Well, you know, and because th- I've done the assessment in the book, there's a very interesting assessment in the book. And, you know, I am that outgoing animated person and extroverted and I, I wanted to say something, right? And so I, I had an idea and I threw it out there. And the head of the organization who did sit at the chair, sort of at the end of the table, um, he was very kind about it. He's like, oh, that's a good idea. You know, that's an idea. Put it on the list or whatever. And then like a year later, I realized that was a stupid idea. But I felt like I had to say something. So Mm -hmm. for people who are new to a workplace, I think what you're suggesting of observing and asking questions and certainly be ready for those ideas if you do have them well thought out or you have them researched. Mine was not a very well researched idea. But, you know, just observing who 
you know, has the room, who always says something. Because even though we want to make a contribution, sometimes it's those people who talk too much that then everyone else starts to tune them out. You're absolutely right. But I want to say something about your story. Yeah. Your boss or whoever it was who said, let's put that on the list. Yeah. Was really a good manager. That was very kind of him. Yes, it was very nice. No, I mean, in all seriousness, yeah. um, he could have said, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, Diana, you know, you're new here. Um, yeah, we w- that's not something that would work for us, but thank you. You know, he could, but what he did was encourage you to stay engaged. He, without denigrating the idea without denigrating this brand new person who, you know, is wet behind the ears, knows nothing, and is telling us that he did none of that. I was excited to talk to you about this book, about the one-on-one communication, but I think this meeting culture is so fascinating and it doesn't get enough attention. So I want to stay with this thread for a minute because the other thing that does happen is the culture will change when a new person comes in. A new person, let's say you have these weekly meetings, which yes, most companies, most departments have some type of status meeting once a week, once every two weeks. And when there's a new leader or a new person, that can change the culture. So I think that's something else to watch out for because I feel like when a new director comes into the meeting, everyone's sort of on their best behavior. And then they slowly go back to some of their their old habits and -and so-and-so interrupts people and things like that. And trends also evolve. Rebecca, do you remember the standing meeting idea? Oh, do I ever. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it was a brilliant idea if it was really a 10-minute meeting. Yes, thank you. Not an hour long, because I sat through one of those, and you know where I was. I'm not going to say it, but they had a standing meeting, and all of us stood around for an hour. Um, A standing meeting was, for those who have not heard the lovely concept, is the concept is that if you have a standing meeting or a walking meeting, you know, you're moving, you're quick, you get your answer in 10 minutes, because you get comfortable if you're seated, right? So the The concept of a standing meeting is fine if it's like two or three of you trying to solve a problem. Okay, you know, we have this new conference that someone needs to go to. Um, Rebecca's busy. Diana has another one. Who can go? Yeah, let's send that person. Okay, do you want to talk to them? Boom. Meeting. Done. Ten minutes. Not an hour-long status update. But I want to say something about the notion of culture uh, when somebody new comes in. Yeah. It's very dependent on the organization's overall communication culture. And then when somebody new comes in, A, at what level, and B, um, how much, um, how many degrees of freedom, you know, a, a unit um, supervisor or a department manager or, you know, a vice president um, has in terms of the way they want to um, hold and manage meetings. And so sometimes the culture will eat the new person. Yeah. uh, Because the culture is just really ingrained. Um, and, and, And other times, but I think more rarely, but when there's somebody who's, you know, like literally at the top, they can drive a lot of 
you know, the cultural expectations, but it depends on the size of the organization. You get a new CEO of an organization with 100,000 employees, you know, the at the rank and file where work gets done level, that may not have any impact. But, you know, an organization of three, 400 people, you know, absolutely. The um, So even if you're coming in as a new boss, you know, and you are coming in from another organization, um, you are you are bringing your perceptions of what works and what doesn't work. You might say, this worked really well in my former organization, I'm going to bring that into this organization. Or, you know, things were really fouled up in my old organization around this, I am not going to let those mistakes happen, I'm going to make sure that this happens. Focus on the big rocks. Yes. Don't worry yes. about the little rocks. Yes. I use that example all the time with some people who um, they focus on the little things because those are easier and those are quicker and those give you a little satisfaction. Uh, whereas the big boulder inside the vase is the one that really moves the needle. So I want to pick up on this thread, though, for a lot of the new people, because you did write this book during the pandemic. Like you said, it's a Zoom book. So you sort of have that digital and the hybrid in your mind when you were writing it. So let's talk to people entering the workforce now, these or just taking a new job, that they're going to have to figure out the communication and the culture remotely. So how do people tackle that? Because so much of the work is happening you know, on devices and people are not in person. The basic rules, however, still apply. Listen, observe, figure out where the drivers are in in any element of it, in, you know, in meetings and such like that. What are the mores? And then ask questions of people privately. You know, I... I noticed in you know the me- the Zoom meeting we had this morning that this happened. Is that a standard way for people to approach things? One of the things that I think is important is for when you're new and you're trying to figure out this culture, watch out who you ask because there might be someone who really does have their finger on the pulse and their assessment is sort of spot on. But then you might get that critical person who, um, you know, is just has been there for a while and that person's cranky and they might have an agenda or an ax to grind. So I think if you ask, hey, how do these meetings go or is this usually the typical flow? I think you've got to sort of take it with a grain of salt and compile all these observations. And it's kind of like being a reporter. If two out of three or four out of five people say, this is the way our meetings usually usually go, then that's an, a fair assessment probably. But you might have an outlier. So you kind of have to watch out where you get that information from. Oh, absolutely. And you are um, looking at this, I think, the right way. Think of it as a research project. Yeah. So you want to get as much data as you can, and then you can start to uh, categorize it and you get to decide who was really credible in terms of what they said and what you are starting to observe. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's it's just as valuable to talk to, um, you know, that cranky kind of cynical person because what you want to know is why they're cranky and cynical. Oh, Yeah. Now, it could just be that they're just one of those people, 
you know, and <laughs> they could still be, be right. Gold, it could be raining gold coins and they'll be annoyed that they're hitting them in the head. <laughs> um, but usually in the workplace, we don't start out that way. And so if you find that there's somebody who's like that, try to basically turn it into a history lesson. Yeah, you got to be careful in how you have the conversation, right? You don't want to grow them or anything. No, no, but, but it's what something... you may go ahead. But what you may find out is, yeah, you know, they've tried to do this sort of thing over and over and over and over again, and they'll train us all in this, and you know, everything is all about six sigma, and oh. <laughs> and then you know, and then a year later, it's like, yeah, well, okay, now we're going to do lean six sigma or we're going to do whatever the latest and greatest is so when you find somebody who's cranky and cynical you know you what you want to do is try to identify the root cause of that not because it's so important to understand what made bob that way but rather as insight into the way the organization functions and if and then you can you can manage yourself within that and if you are that cranky person, I mean, let's let's be real. Someone listening is like, oh, I'm that cranky person. I mean, you've got to think about why it is that you're cranky and why you're staying. You know, when we talk about job fulfillment, we talk about the different elements um, that make you satisfied at work. And if you have put forward five different ideas, five different proposals, and they all get rejected, rejected, then maybe you have to decide, okay, is this the right place for me? Or if yep. you're going to stay, you can't be cranky just because your ideas didn't get passed or accepted or whatever. You still have to show up as a collegial partner. And if you can't do that, maybe then you shouldn't stay. Yeah, it's um, a lot of that is dependent upon where these people are in their um, career. Yeah, yeah, and, that gets tough. Um, and as you, you know, as you become... Um, if you get greater tenure and you become older and such, you know, we know it, it's unfortunate, but we know that your degrees of uh, new job freedom start to diminish. But I do agree with you that people forget that they have some control. Actually, they have a lot of control over their own attitude. They yes. may not have control over all the situation. But, um, you know, you may want to um, uh, fake it till you make it in terms of how you show up in the office and then go home, put on your workout clothes and go for a really long run, you know, to get all of your um, annoyance of all the things that went wrong that day and how, you know, idiotic that boss was <laughs> and what a stupid project this was. You know, get it out during your, you know, your run. Yeah. Um, but when you're in the office, you know, try to manage that. Yes. Yes. Um, That's when we talk about mindset. And I, th I think you raise a very real point that, you know, if you're someone in your 20s and 30s, you have options, you have a lot more, um, many years ahead of you. So you, it might be wise to try to find a different job. So that way you're not in that cranky place. But if you are in your last job, and you don't want to move anymore, or you're like two years away from retirement, then it's how you show up 
with, yeah, try and find some gratitude for what you have, even though you're disappointed that your fifth, maybe your sixth proposal hasn't been passed on. But what are the good things that you're getting out of it? What has it brought you over the years? And maybe you can start mentoring other people. Maybe you can sort of start seeing yourself in that sunset role, but then helping the others who are going to be moving up the the ladder after you. As far as the 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 employee is concerned i'm staying as long as i'm growing as long as i am having um fun and fun in this case is you know when i'm in the zone i don't i'm not looking at the clock every five minutes right and um that i have the work-life balance that i want Well, Dr. Weintraub, this has been so helpful. I really appreciate it. Where can people find the book? I am pleased to say that Incredible Communication, Uncovering the Invaluable Art of Selling Yourself, is on uh, Kindle, on um, Apple Books, on um, Amazon very easily, um, and in your favorite um, physical bookstore if you still live near one. <laughs> Wherever you might be, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Job Talk Weekly. Leave us a review, let us know what topics you want to hear. And we're always on socials on Instagram and Facebook, Job Talk Weekly, and our website, jobtalkweekly.com. See you next time.